Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and I appreciate that, honoring God's Word. Uh, I learned a long time ago, if, if Jesus has anything to do with you, He has everything to do with you. He has everything to do with you. Uh, I, he's Lord, and He will mess with your stuff. And that's a good thing, because your stuff needs to be messed with. That is, your life, everything in it, needs the touch of God. And so, even with his temptations, his temptations, uh, the three that are recorded for us in the Gospels, when Jesus went into the wilderness, even those temptations uh, reflect any temptation you and I will ever go through. The Bible says he was tempted. Jesus was tempted in all points, like we are, yet he never fell. He never sinned. But whatever you were tempted with this week, Jesus has felt it. Jesus experienced it, at least something in that arena, something in that category. He experienced it. Yet I'm so glad to tell you again, yet without sin. He never fell. So what we're doing, I started a series in the temptations of Jesus because there's something very instructive for all of us to glean from those temptations. And today I'm going to talk to you about the first one, and I'm just calling the message, Right Need, Wrong Answer. I can put it another way, right need, wrong solution. And we're going to see how Satan tempted Jesus, who had a legitimate need, with a wrong solution. And we need to learn that this is the way he comes to you and me, the devil. And he wants to tempt us to take a wrong answer or a wrong solution to a legitimate need. That's how he works. So let's read Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by who, everybody? There's a real devil. This is not a figment, a fairy tale. The devil tempted Christ. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, wow, believe it or not, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, hey, psst, if. That's Satan's favorite word, if. Because if is designed to make you and I doubt. If you are the Son of God, prove it. Command that these stones become bread. But Jesus had his number right off the bat. Jesus said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that ended that temptation with the word. Father, thank you for the word of God. How we need, Lord, to know how to deal with this particular type of temptation. How we need to recognize it and defeat it immediately like Christ did. Teach us, Lord. Can you lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I receive your word today. Deliver me from evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, perk up and listen. You might need this before you get home. Now, we're going to look today at the first temptation that Satan attacked Jesus with. Uh, it's important to note, he, he was tempted. He, he experienced every temptation you and I would ever experience, yet he won the battle. He won the fight. He was never deceived, taken down. He never gave up, gave in, put up the white flag. Never did a shadow come between the Savior and God. 
Jesus never had to say, Father, forgive me, I sinned. Mary never had to whoop him. His siblings couldn't stand him because he never did wrong, never got in trouble. And they did. Now it says Jesus was water baptized. When he was water baptized by John the Baptist, the Spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove. And then a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him. Look to him. And right then and there, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, led him into the wilderness. Well, what wilderness? It was the Judean desert where the Spirit led him. The Judean desert was anything but a top vacation spot. You didn't say to your family, hey, this summer, let's go to the Judean desert. No. It was known as a place where thieves and robbers hid from being discovered because it was desolate, it was rough, it was mountainous, and it was dangerous. Mark's gospel adds one little detail. Matthew doesn't. Mark said he was with the wild animals. I did a little research. What were the wild animals? Well, bears, leopards, wolves, cobras, a variety of poisonous, venomous, high-end, two-stepper snakes. You know what a two-stepper is? They bite you, you take two steps, you're dead. It was full of two-steppers, cobras, scorpions, hyenas, jackals, desert foxes, and wild boars. At night, he's alone. He's got nobody with him. He's been led by the Spirit to go into this wilderness, fasting and praying, alone. He hears the howling at night. The jackals, the hyenas, the predators, howling at night. He sleeps wherever he can find a place. Forty days is a long time. Ten days over a month. He's alone. And he's out there getting weaker by the day because he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. That's a very long time. And he had all the signs of it. If you had seen him, he's starving. He's literally starving. Shocking weight loss, protruding bones, depleted fat and muscle, weak, faint, full of fatigue. Surely by the last 10 days or so, he's not moving much. He's sitting, laying, standing, fighting a real foe, a real spiritual personality. Satan has come to derail him, to stop him, to cause him to make some kind of a slip up where he could not go to the cross and die for our sins because he's no longer innocent. His blood's no longer pure. He's fallen into sin. So the devil's trying to stop him before his major ministry begins. He's 30. He's a young, strong man, but nevertheless, he's vulnerable. And this is when we see Satan decide to attack. Now, this is instructive for you and me. Because we note that Satan attacks when you're vulnerable. 
He hits you when you're weak. He comes at you when you're needy, discouraged, down, struggling. He attacks when you're down. The devil's not a fair fighter. There's nothing fair in him. Let me tell you the truth about the devil. He's a monster. He's a spiritual monster. He used to be an archangel. But now the archangel has fallen. He has a disembodied... He is a disembodied spirit. And and his power now is evil. And we know from the book of Job, he roams the earth to and fro. And now his full focus is on Christ, his arch nemesis, his top enemy, Christ. He wants to stop him before he ever dies on that tree. He's, he's here now to stop his own undoing. He's, he's protecting his own future existence. The devil is. He has no ethics, no scruples, no morals, no compassion, no empathies, no sympathy for you and me. He loves tears. He loves pain. He loves ruining. He loves ruination. Jesus said he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all that he does. If he shows up, that's what he's there for, one of those three, to steal, to kill, or destroy. That's the only reason he ever shows up. He's after your marriage, your family, your testimony, your life. I'm not afraid of him, but I take him seriously. He seeks to gain advantage when you're tired, when you're needy. Oh, and here's a big one. When you're discouraged, oh, he comes. Quit. Put up the white flag. Walk away. Pick up your marbles and go home. Quit all this Christian stuff when you're discouraged. He swoops in. He, he hits when it's advantageous for him to hit. I, I think it's interesting that it says when the three temptations to Jesus were done... It says the devil left him until an opportune time. That tells us he's a a shameless opportunist. He looks for opportunity. He looks for the right circumstances. He, He studies our life, especially if you're spirit filled, walking with Jesus, soul winning, bearing fruit, then he targets. Peter said, You better be alert and cautious at all times. Because the enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He walks about like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone. Here's the way the Amplified puts it, seeking someone to eat. Make a meal of you. Now, I'm not telling you to be afraid of the devil. I'm not. I'm not afraid of the devil. But I do respect the battle I'm in. I do know that he's not to be taken lightly and that he's the tempter. He tempts. And his temptations have done well for him for thousands of years. He keeps on successfully tempting people. He doesn't have a new bag of tricks. He uses the old ones. They work just fine. Now, I want you to notice something about this first temptation. Jesus had a legitimate need. There wasn't anything wrong with his need. He's hungry. You're supposed to get hungry. If you've got a human body, you're going to get hungry. Jesus became a man. He had a human body. 
So he's hungry. There's nothing sinful about being hungry. We have many needs as human beings. There's nothing sinful about the need. So I want you to note, the devil decides to play on a legitimate need. And as we look at this, realize he does the same with you and me. He plays on the strings of our legitimate needs. The tempter comes to him. He's hungry. He's starving. So the devil comes to him. If you're the son of God, command these stones become bread. I wouldn't be surprised if the devil didn't let him get a little whiff of baking bread. Because he's starving. The very thought of taking a bite of bread at this point in the game was like a thought of heaven. So the devil says, you're the son of God. You can do it. You know you can do it. And guess what? He could have. In the wilderness, it says the rock that followed them in the wilderness in the Old Testament was Christ. And what did, the, what did Christ do with those big boulders? He made water come out. He, he was able to, to take something natural and, and make it supernatural. The thing about it is he could have misused and abused his privileges as the Son of God and turned it into bread. And he could have met his need, a right need, the wrong way. Do you catch it? Satan's temptation was aimed at his appetite. Now that matters. Because John, in 1 John 2, 15, he says, Don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life are not from the Father, but from the world. The world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Now watch this. What, be, what, what were the three things? Lust of flesh, appetite. Lust of eyes, what you see that you want. And it's connected to your appetite. The pride of life, an attitude, I don't need God. I can make it just fine on my own. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Okay, now watch this. Jesus is dealing with the very first one, lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride of life. The first temptation to come in him is lust of flesh, appetite, hunger. Um, and his three temptations cover these three things. Lust of, we're going to see it in the weeks to come. Lust of eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life. Those are the three temptations leveled at Jesus. That's the crux and the core of them. Now watch this. So he's, he's being tempted to take care of his appetite in a wrong way. Satan tempted him to meet a right need the wrong way. That's one of his tools, one of his approaches. That's how he gets at us. And he he hadn't changed his bag of tricks, like I said. All the way back to the very first temptation of Adam and Eve. He goes, now here you got Satan, fresh out of the chute, First couple, first man, first woman, first temptation recorded in human history was lust of the flesh, appetite. God had said, don't you, don't you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one thing you can't touch. That's the one thing you can't eat of. But what does Satan do? He turns their attention to that tree. He says, you're hungry. Why don't you just eat of that? You're not going to die like God said. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, no, you're, you're going to be fine. God just doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding back from you. So eat of that tree. 
And look what it says about them. They saw that the tree was good. So there you got lust of the eyes. And that it was good for what? Food. Lust of the flesh. Appetite. And it was, it was the temptation to Adam and Eve. The first temptation in the history of mankind was to meet a right need the wrong way. Because they're hungry. And so they eat of the tree. He never shows his hand when you and I are offered by the devil. You don't know it's the devil. But there you are. You're cooking along and you've got a legitimate need in your life. And here comes a solution. But it's a wrong solution to a right need. It's a compromise to a right need. And there it is right in front of you. And the devil says... There's nothing wrong with your need. Here you go. He never shows his hand. He never shows the consequences. He never shows the after. Now he's very, very good at focusing your eyes and my eyes on the immediate benefits. He's all about immediate versus delayed gratification. He wants, he wants you to take immediate gratification. I'm hungry. I've got this need. There's a solution. I'm taking it. And I'm not going to wait on God for the right solution. And, and so, but they didn't see. Could they have possibly seen the millennia of pain and agony and regret and trouble that their one decision would bring? Their fall had universal repercussions. When they fell, the whole human race, all of us fell with them. You know the Bible teaches that? We don't hear much about this in pulpits anymore. And that's tragic because people need to hear about the bad side of sin. Paul writes, when Adam sinned, sin entered the whole world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everybody. For everyone sinned. It was imputed to all of us. And the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they died, and the whole human race. Now, not physically. No, no. Adam lived to like 930 years old, but he died. So Satan lied, and Adam died. But he lived to 930, but he died. They died in the inside because they were cut off from God, which is what sin does. It cuts us off from God. It breaks fellowship. You don't lose your salvation, you lose your fellowship. Sin affected and and it ruined everything. And I can tell you definitively today, sin ruins everything. Sin ruins everything. It ruins everything. Uh, it, It affected nature. It affected the whole creation of God. Paul tells us in Romans 8 something astounding. He says, the whole creation is groaning awaiting for the revelation of the sons of God. And and because the whole creation was subjected to futility, a life of futility because of sin. Every created creature feels somehow or another the consequences of sin. And when Jesus comes back and establishes his millennial kingdom, then the suffering of creation is brought to an end. Amen. But their sin affected man's relationship with God. It it brought banishment from paradise. They were driven out of paradise because of the sin. And here's the thing. 
sin also affected our, our, our very nature. We've got to understand this. If you want to know what the problem of the world is, it's a sin problem. It manifests in all kinds of different ways. Drugs, murder, uh, crazy, uh, gender stuff, and all this other thing. But the bottom line is, the, the root of it all is sin. And sin comes from a fallen nature. The Apostle Paul writes, as for you, you were dead. Who's the were? Who's, who's the you? As for you, you were dead. He's talking to Christians. You were dead. Necros. The Greek word, necros, is the same word that a Greek speaker back in those days would use to describe a dead body. Necros, you were dead. That means on the inside, when man is born, he's born with a living body but a dead spirit. You're cut off from God. That's why you need to be born twice. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you see. Born once, you're going to hell. Born twice, you're going to heaven. Amen? I'm just shooting straight with you today. This is what the Bible teaches. Not real popular these days. But I'm not here to tickle your ear. I don't want my ear tickled. I want to be told the truth. And this is the truth of mankind. This is the problem with the human race. Sin is our problem. We sin as easily as we breathe. He said, and we were by nature deserving of wrath. By, by nature is a little phrase that means inherently. By birth, naturally. Have you noticed when you have children, you don't have to teach them to sin. They, they lie all on their own. They rebel all on their own. No, our job as parents is to teach them and train them not to sin. Because they do it naturally. And that's the thing. That's the thing. Here's the good news. That we have a fallen nature that God sent His only begotten Son. That whoever believes on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And if any man or any woman be in Christ, they are a brand new creation. All has passed away and become new. And so listen to what it says. The sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. So where the first Adam failed, the second Adam, Jesus, succeeded. The second Adam, Jesus, undid what the first Adam did. Watch this. The sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins, still we're made right with God through the second Adam. Jesus, for the sin of the first Adam caused death to rule over many, but even greater. Everybody say greater. greater. Is God's wonderful, stupendous, amazing grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. So doesn't it logically follow then that the first temptation that came to Jesus was where Adam failed? The sin of wrong answer to a right need. And Jesus succeeded. Adam ate of the tree. Jesus didn't. He came to succeed where Adam had failed. The devil's temptation was for Jesus to step outside of God's will and meet a need. But he refused. 
And this is Satan's tactic with every one of us, isn't it? Because we've all got needs. You woke up today with needs. I had a need when I got up and got to church. I had a need. I was hungry. So I got into the flesh. And I called for a chocolate-covered donut. Yeah? And they brought it. And I took one bite, and I said, this is pure sugar. Pure sugar. I ate a couple more bites. I ate half of it. And then I quit. So I had half a victory this morning. Half a victory. <laughs> but something in me says that chocolate-covered donut was not God's provision for me. I, I just thought of it. When I thought of it, it appealed to me. And I saw that it looked good. How many of you have a battle every time you go by that donut shop? Right? Every time you go to that mall. Every time you go to an, a, a car lot. You hear all kinds of voices. Going to debt, it's okay. God will cover it. This is Satan's tactic, to offer a wrong solution to a right need. That's his tactic. For instance, the devil says, you're lonely. Uh, Go ahead and get a relationship going with that person. They don't know Christ, right, but you'll lead them to Christ. You go ahead and, and have a relationship with that person. But that's never God's answer. Because God says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Everybody say, none. Because the most important thing to you and me is our faith. Our walk with God. You can't walk with somebody that doesn't have the same faith. That's why God would not let a, an ox and a donkey be hitched to the same plow in the Old Testament. Because the, the donkey would bite the ox. The donkey would eat anything that came in the path. The donkey would pull the wrong way. The ox was subservient and doing what the master wanted. But the donkey was a born rebel. And if you put them together, the ox was going to end up hurt. So God says, don't hook up with a donkey. That's free. Some of you are thinking, I think I married one. Listen, don't think that way. Don't think that way. Amen. Right need, wrong answer. God understands your need for companionship. He knows that. But don't take a wrong solution. You're in need of finances. The enemy comes and says, go ahead and cheat a little bit on those taxes. God's okay with it. He understands. Right need, wrong answer. God's our provision. Jehovah Jireh, he will provide. You're tense and you're tired. You go home. You need to relax. The enemy says, why don't you go ahead and access that illicit drug just once or twice. You won't become hooked. No big deal. When God's answer is, get into the word, get into prayer, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit give you peace. But, but, but the, devil, the devil is so good at wanting to give you a wrong answer to a right need. And you end up in all kinds of trouble. The Old Testament records the story of Esau, one of two sons of Isaac and Rebekah. You know them, Esau, Jacob, or Esau and, yeah, Jacob. And, and they were twins. And Esau was born first, Jacob second. And... It says the two boys couldn't have been more different. Though they were twins, they were complete polar opposites. Jacob was a tent dweller. He was smooth-skinned. 
He was, he was a, kind of a plain guy. Um, today, if he was around today, he'd have been a, a, a nice uh, college graduate, white-collar worker. But Esau was a hunter. He was so hairy that if you touched his arm, you thought it was an animal. That's gross. <laughs> but that's what the Bible says. There. He was that hairy. When you touched his arm, you thought, because they fooled Isaac with it. And Isaac felt of his arm and said, oh yeah, that is an animal. That guy needed to shower every day. That's terrible. But they're totally different. Esau loved the field, loved the wild, loved rough living, loved going out there and, and getting game. And one day Esau came in out of the woods. Now remember, he's firstborn. That means he had all the privileges and the mother load of the inheritance coming his way. Because just being firstborn, you got the majority of the inheritance from your parents. So he had a lot of money coming. He had a lot of cattle coming. He had a position. He, he was set for life. But one day he comes in out of the field. He's starving. And Jacob is waiting with a steaming hot bowl of wolf brand chili. <laughs> and he blows it his way. Esau, I think you're kind of hungry. I got just what you need. It's yours, if. I'm going to read it to you. Esau said, I'm weak with hunger. So was Jesus. Let me have some of that stew. But Jacob said, sure, but you got to sell me your rights as the firstborn son. Listen to Esau. I'm almost dead with hunger. So is Jesus. So what good are these rights to me now? Now what is he doing? He's looking at immediate versus delayed gratification. He has no faith in God. If he had had faith in God, he would have said, dude, take your stew and go home. I'm going to trust God to take care of my hunger. But he didn't. He had no faith in God. So he said, I'm almost dead with hunger, so what good are these rights to me now? So Esau made an oath to him and sold his rights as the firstborn son to Jacob. Terrible trade. Terrible. He gave away millions for one meal. And yet, isn't that what we do sometimes when we sin? We give up our relationship with God worth millions for immediate gratification when if we wait, he'll take care of us. Are you hearing me, church? I'm talking real to you today. So he gave up his rights. He all too easily gave it up. As a matter of fact, uh, he met a right need the wrong way. And the Bible says in Hebrews, he traded his rights as the oldest son for a single meal. And afterwards, afterwards, everybody say there's always an afterwards. Afterwards, when he wanted those rights back again, it was too late. Even though he wept bitter tears of repentance. So remember and be careful. Because sometimes you can make a terrible trade if you accept the wrong answer to a right need. The wrong solution to a legitimate hunger. And that's what the devil is good at. So we see that Jesus refused the wrong answer to a right need. He was starving. He was weak. 
He didn't see how he was going to go on, but he trusted God. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. God's word will keep me alive. I'm trusting God. I will not take immediate gratification. And he, he quoted the book of Deuteronomy. It's interesting to me. With all three temptations, he quoted out of Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And in quoting this, here's what he was saying. I place a higher value on God's will than my own needs, even if I die. Job said, even though he slay me, I will trust him. Even if I feel like I can't go on, I'm going to put a higher premium on God's will than I am my immediate need. It's not easy to do. Not easy. But sometimes that's our choice. So Jesus chose obedience over appetite. He chose to die on the hill of God's will, if need be, rather than accept Satan's counterfeit. He said no to meeting a right need the wrong way. He said no. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the, he's the boss, applesauce. Right? And, and, and he lives in us. The one who said no the one who took a stand, the one who refused a wrong answer to a right need lives in you and me. Now let me bring this home to us. Each and every day, we as Christians face the same battle. What, what this week have you been tempted to reach out to uh, when you knew, if I do, that's not God's best for me, but I have this need. I got a need. I got a need. Of course, our culture, it's all about you and your needs. It's not about the Lord. It's not about sacrifice. It's all about you and your needs being all important. Sometimes you just have to tell your flesh to be crucified. Uh. Satan routinely places the wrong solution to a right need right in front of our eyes. He does it all the time. Be it food, I'm not kidding, sex, peace, companionship, finances, spiritual fulfillment. He even does it when we're lost and need to be saved. He puts all kinds of wrong answers to a right solution, to a right need. I need to be saved. I need to be born again. I need to be redeemed. I need my sins forgiven. But he'll bring along Buddha. He'll bring along Muhammad. He'll bring along some new age God. He'll he'll bring along you don't really need this. He'll bring along different philosophies. He puts different things right in front of our face to distract us and move us and cause us to choose something that will not save us. A wrong answer to a right need. The greatest need any human being ever has. Numero uno is to be saved. Isn't it interesting how he'll hit you with every option in the world so that you don't take the real thing? And you know what I've noticed? And I close with this. I've noticed this. The devil so often brings the wrong solution to a right need right before God provides. Right before God provides. Oh, I've seen it so many times, even in my own life. 
you know, not willing to wait on God. What have you prayed about? Yeah, I prayed about it. It's been two days. I'm going to do something about it myself. And we don't wait on God. We don't wait on His timing. We don't wait on His provision. We take matters into our own hands, and that never goes well. What we find is when Jesus finishes battle with the devil, God met his needs. It says, the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Angels came. Yeah. So angels came and took care of all his needs. That he had been tempted to satisfy the wrong way. Is this not a pattern for you and me? So can we stand together today? So here's what we learn in summary. Satan attacks us when we're weak and tired and needy. And that's pretty often, right? That's pretty often. Weak and tired and needy. That's when he attacks. And that's when he dangles the wrong solution. He offers the wrong solution to a right need. He's driven from us when we stand on the word of God. And we're standing on the truth of it. Not just quoting it, but I believe it's true. I will not live by bread alone. But I live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And he often tempts us right before God's provision. And here's the deal. When we refuse and trust God, God will meet your needs. In your timing, probably not. In mine, probably not. Almost never. But I always find he had a reason to wait. My son, when he was like eight, wanted a shotgun. We were in East Texas. He wanted a shotgun. I said, don't think so. I'll give you a BB gun, and we'll go from there. So I made him wait a long time. But God makes us wait. We get impatient. We pull on Abraham and Sarah and we take the wrong solution and here comes Ishmael. Wrong answer. Amen? Y'all are somber today. Are you? Is this me? Or you? Let, me let me brighten your day. So this morning, one of our tech people said this to me. Pastor Jeff, you always remind me, your sweaters always remind me of Mr. Rogers. Now, I've been told a lot of things in my life. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Now, we're going to pray in a minute, but I got to tell you, that hit my ego a little bit. Mr. Rogers... So somebody else comes up afterwards. I shared it in the early service, and they said, well, at least he didn't say Captain Kangaroo. But Mr. Rogers. So Pastor Sonny was watching, and he sent me a video of Mr. Rogers. (laughs) And I looked, and I said, man, I'm turning that off. That's doing a number on me. But here's the deal. Took it in stride. I trust the Lord. (laughs) I may look like, listen, I don't think I do, but if you think I do, I'm a lion on the inside. (laughs) 
All right. But here's the deal, folks. Where in your life are you being offered a wrong solution to a right need? And you justify it, rationalize it, do everything in the world to accept it. Even as Abraham cried out, cannot Ishmael stand before you? This work of the flesh, can this not do? The answer is no. We want God's best. So I want to have a prayer with you. I'm going to ask some prayers to come down. Would you just line up down here, prayers? And I want to have a prayer with you because, listen, this can be life and death. You can lose a lot by taking that wrong solution to a right need. We're in a culture so full of temptation. So I want to pray for you. Would you lift your hands to the Lord and let me pray. Father, I come to you with this congregation that I pray for regularly. I pray for me. I pray for them. I pray for us all. Lord, how we need your strength. How we need your grace. How we need your mercy to help us in the hour of need, in the hour of temptation, when we're faced with something we really should not do. But the need seems so strong and, and we feel the need more than we feel your grace sometimes. And Lord, we, we just need your help. Because Lord, we're in a battle and you're using our church to reach people around the country and around the world. So you're going to attack this church And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that when the enemy attacks this church, that we are strong against him. That we are walking in grace against him. And that we win the battle like Jesus did. And we embrace delayed gratification until God provides. Now pray this with me and say, Lord, I give you the wrong option, the wrong solution, the wrong answer facing me. Help me today, right now, to cast it aside, to reject it, to say no to it, and to wait for your provision. Even if I'm hungry, to wait for your provision. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you needed that today, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen, amen, amen. I needed that today.